And so today we're going to focus on the shepherds in the story of Christmas and specifically the peace that Christ's birth was to bring to the world. So I'm going to ask you to stand in reverence to the Scripture today. I have a somewhat lengthier text than, than we might normally have, but I want, to, want you to catch all of this Luke chapter 2, starting in the first verse. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth into the Galilee, to Judea, Nazareth in Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all of these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Father, let your word permeate our hearts here today. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would bring the words of Scripture alive to us today, that it would challenge us and change us in the way that we live. So, Holy Spirit, we welcome you in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. You may be seated. So today we're going to consider four aspects of peace uh, in this biblical account that we just read. We're going to talk about the proclamation of peace, the people of peace, the publishing of peace, and the paradox of peace. And after I'm done ministering, I'm going to invite the worship team to come, come back and, and sing a song of peace, really, so that we can just lean back into this and, just, and let the Holy Spirit do a word, do a work in our hearts today. So let's begin with the proclamation of peace. What a story this is. Heaven gets excited about this news and, you know, God, this could have happened unannounced. The, the, the baby could have been born, the Christ child could have been born, and there wouldn't have been an announcement. But God decided on letting it be known, Howbeit, in a, in a humble and somewhat obscure way. And who else but the angels would be given this initial task of making 
the proclamation. Notice here, first of all, it was an angel of the Lord that appeared to them. Just one. One single angel. And with that angel, the glory of God was just radiating, shining around them. And of course, they were terrified. You would be too if you were at work, wherever that is. And all of a sudden, a bright light comes and an angel's standing there. But here's the official press release from the angel. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And again, this was a single angel, and that angel's name is not given. But he gives the press release, and as soon as he speaks these words, this, makes this announcement, things just explode on the scene. And there, there's praise and glory expressed as the, the Bible says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appears. So there's a myriad of angels there. We don't have a number on them. But all these angels are there, and it was as though they couldn't contain themselves or hide themselves behind the scenes any longer. They appeared and burst into praise. And they're saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So the announcement of the birth of Jesus was an announcement of peace. The glory goes to God, the peace comes to earth. Heaven was coming to earth in the person of a virgin-born baby, the Messiah. This was the, the promise of the ages. From the fall of Adam and Eve came a prophecy. The seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Well, this was that. And no wonder heaven couldn't keep silent. The birth in Bethlehem, in the, in the, in the little village there with Joseph and Mary, may have been quiet apart from the groans of childbirth and the cries of the baby, but heaven just had to celebrate somewhere. And so it was the shepherds who received the announcement to whom we draw our attention for this message. They were chosen repre to, to represent really the human race. And so we consider, secondly, the people of peace. Glory to God on the, in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, all of us know if we had written this story, we would have, because we understand protocol and manners and government and so on, we would have made the announcement to the high priest in Jerusalem or to the Jewish or even Roman persons in authority in the region. That's human protocol. That is a respect issue. You make the announcement, announcement so important like that, you make an announcement like that to the people at the top. It's just good manners. But the truth is that God does have good manners. God does respect proper protocol. It's just that God views who's at the top differently than we view who's at the top. God has a different perspective. And the message of peace was for those on whom God's favor rested. And the first ones who met the favor factor were a bunch of shepherds on the hill. They were very common people. We could say actually a little less than common because shepherding at the time was a despised profession. In terms of spirituality, shepherds were considered unclean because their profession didn't allow them to be regulars at the temple. Imagine having a job where you couldn't attend church regularly. 
because your job made you unclean. And they couldn't offer sacrifice at the temple until they met the cleansing requirements of the law of Moses. So they were social outcasts and religious outcasts, but these guys met the requirement as people upon whom God's favor rested. That's who God was looking for. It's amazing. And note that it's not peace on earth, goodwill to men, as is commonly stated. Rather, it's peace on earth to men of goodwill. So God considers these shepherds men of goodwill. The biblical scholars tell us also that the sheep that they were watching over were not your everyday sheep. Because of the proximity to Bethlehem and to Jerusalem and to the, to the temple, these would not have been the sheep that are raised to produce wool and provide meat for the market. These were the sacrificial sheep, the sacrificial lambs that were going to end up being offered as a sacrifice on the altar by devout Israelites. And that, of course, in itself is prophetic. The announcement comes to those who are caring for the sacrificial lambs. They would be the first to visit the manger and see the one who one day would be offered as the sacrificial lamb of God, who, as John the Baptist said, would take away the sins of the world. And so God, who gives favor and grace to the humble, shows his grace and favor to humble shepherds, and he announces to them peace. And ironically, this Lamb of God, this newborn king, would one day put an end to their shepherding business in Israel. I never, I never thought of that till this week. Um, while there would always be shepherds, there would no longer be shepherds of this specialty who raised sacrificial lambs because 33 years later, the market took a big hit. And in A.D. 70, sometime after that, the temple was gone. There was no place to offer sacrifices, and they haven't been sacrificed since that time because of the sacrifice of Jesus, nor will they. I'll just throw that in for free. The Greek word for peace used in our text is a reconciling word. The word means to join, to set at one again, to set at one again, to re-together, bring together once again. It is the same word that is used in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, when he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have, here's the word, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. Here's the same word for peace, to join, to set at one again. And so we today, like the shepherds of old, have been graced to be the recipients of the gospel of peace. Even the, the mighty military power of Rome that ruled the world in that day could not provide the peace that only God could give. Some years ago, a few days before Christmas, a reporter whose name was Lee worked for the Chicago Tribune, and he was an avowed atheist. He was obnoxious about being an atheist. He, he had written an article about a, a family by the name of the Delgados. There was a grandmother whose name was Perfecta, cool name, Perfecta, and her two granddaughters, Jenny, who was 13, and Jenny's sister, Lydia, who was 11. 
just a grandmother and two grandchildren who were struggling. They lived on the west side of Chicago in a two-room apartment with bare walls. No furniture, no carpet, no rugs, nothing but a, a kitchen table when he went to see them, and a handful of rice in the cupboards. The girls had each one short-sleeved dress apiece, plus a thin gray sweater, and they shared the sweater. On cold days, when the girls walked the half mile to school, one of the girls would start with the sweater, and there was a, a, a place that was the halfway point to school, and they would switch, and the other girl would get to wear the sweater the rest of the way there. And they did that uh, coming home as well. It was all they had. And this grandmother, Perfecta, wanted more for her granddaughters. She would gladly have worked, but she had severe arthritis, and, and she was elderly, and it made it too difficult and painful to work. So Lee's article in the Chicago Tribune detailed their poverty in very stark and powerful ways. A few days after he wrote his article, he visited the Delgados again. And his article had touched the hearts of many subscribers to the newspaper who responded with furniture and appliances, rugs, dozens of coats and scarves and gloves. The girls wouldn't have to share a sweater any longer. There were cartons and boxes of food everywhere. They had so much food that the, the, the cupboards and the closets couldn't contain it. Someone had even donated a Christmas tree, and under it were mounds of presents and thousands of dollars in cash. People really responded. But what astonished this reporter the most was that he found Perfecta and her granddaughters, what he found them doing. They were preparing to give most of it away. Lee said, why would you give so much of this away? And Perfecta responded, well, our neighbors are still in need. We cannot have plenty while they have nothing. This is what Jesus would want us to do. Then he asked Perfecta what, what she thought about the generosity that was shown to them. She said, this is wonderful. We did nothing to deserve this. It is all a gift from God. But it is not his greatest gift, Lee. No, we celebrate that tomorrow, Jesus. Well, Lee was speechless. And as he drove back to his office, he began to reflect on a few things. First of all, he had plenty. He had plenty. But along with that, he had plenty of anxiety. By contrast, the Delgados, despite their poverty, were at peace. Secondly, he realized he had everything he needed, but still wanted more. The Delgados had nothing, and they were still generous with what they had. Thirdly, even though he had so much more than the Delgados, he had to admit he longed for what they had. And by the way, this journalist, this self-proclaimed atheist, his full name is Lee Strobel. And the encounter with the Delgados shook his unbelief and eventually led to him accepting the call of Christ. He's become a prolific writer for the faith of Christianity one of his most famous books, The Case for Christianity. It's incredible. All because he met people who had the peace that Jesus promised. And so Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give it to you. 
That leads me to my third point today, the publishing of peace. The publishing of peace. The shepherds followed the orders of the angelic messenger. And scriptures declare, they said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. They did as they were instructed, and they stood at the manger in awe and wonder. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph's excitement when they were told about the announcement that happened on the hillside just outside of town? Can you imagine how, how confirming all of that was to them? And there's, there's only one more verse about the shepherds in the Bible before they slip into the obscurity of history. And I sometimes wonder, I don't know if you're like me, but I wonder about these character, characters of the Bible. These, I, I think of them as one-hit wonders. You know, they show up in one place in the Bible, and you never hear from them again. But I always think about those things. And I think, how did they respond in the subsequent years of their lives? Did they become influential members of the early church? Probably. The Bible is silent about them except for this verse, Luke 2 and verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. In other words, as some translations will say it, they published the good news. The word publish means to make it known, to reveal it, to divulge it, to announce it. But here's a point I want to make. The peace that Messiah brings to you is not just for you. The peace that Messiah brings to you is not just for you. God gives us his peace so that we will make it known to others. And years later on a hillside, Jesus would teach, blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called the children of God. See, we have the privilege of sharing the peace with others that God has provided for us. And when we do that, we are most like our Father. We are indeed the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They're the children of God. We act like our daddy when we do that, when we share the peace with others. It is his nature, and as believers, it is ours. And so the shepherds went back to their flocks and told everyone within their sphere of influence. So the good news of peace is not just for you. It is the good news for your family. It's the good news for your neighborhood as well. It's the good news for your workplace, your city, your town, your village, your sphere of influence. The good news is to go through you. We can live in that peace. We can model it. We can testify to it. There's a famous prayer of uncertain origin that I'm sure many of you have heard before. It is sometimes attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, though it is highly unlikely that he wrote it for various reasons. Nonetheless, it has had great influence through two world wars, in particular in more recent history. It is widely used across denominations and even in other religions. This is the prayer. It's called the instrument of peace. Lord, make me an instrument of peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring love. Where there is offense, let me bring pardon. Where there is discord, let me bring union. 
Where there is error, let me bring truth. Where there is doubt, let me bring faith. Where there is despair, let me bring hope. Where there is darkness, let me bring your light. Where there is sadness, let me bring joy. O Lord, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that one receives, it is in self-forgetting that one finds. It is in forgiving that one is forgiven, it is in dying that one awakens to eternal life. Live in the peace that God has given you and be alert for opportunities to share that peace with those who desperately need it. I want to say this. You will be rejected at times. When Jesus sent the 12 out to preach the gospel, he gave specific instruction about the homes that they were entering into. And I I never really quite understood this verse, and I spent some time on it this week. And this is what he said to his disciples when he sent the 12 out. Matthew 10 and verse 12 Once you enter a house, speak to the family there and say, God's blessing of peace be upon this house. And if those living there welcome you, let your peace come upon that house. But if you are rejected, that blessing of peace will come back on you. This is a Hebrew mode of speaking that derived from gift giving, obviously, and in this case, peace. If people were willing to receive the peace, to receive the benefits of peace that you're offering to them, then they'll get those benefits that we offer. If not, the gift comes back to you and remains in your possession. That's the way the Jews thought of this. And so what Jesus was saying is when we offer peace to those in need, when we share the love of God with them, the gospel with them, and they reject our offer, The blessing that we wanted for them will come back to us. And so there's actually a benefit in being rejected. That can help us when we think about sharing our faith with others. God even blesses us when we don't succeed. We may walk away bummed and say, oh, they didn't listen. I really shared my heart. I shared my testimony, and they just flat out rejected me, didn't like me, insulted me, whatever. There's benefit in that, okay? There's benefit in being rejected when you're offering the peace of God to others, you're going to benefit by that peace coming back on you. So rejoice when you're persecuted in that way. Rejoice. But don't expect everybody to be as excited about the gift of peace as you are. Um, And I'm sure not everyone believed the story that the shepherds told either. We have to be faithful, though, to publish the peace to others. So we've seen the proclamation of peace, the people of peace, the publishing of peace, and here's an interesting word, especially in the day that we live in now, the paradox of peace, the paradox of peace. As I was studying this, I was thinking about the conditions of the world right now, the war that is going on, and all that's happening in our midst. But here's the paradox. The world into which Jesus was born when peace was first announced to the shepherds, was at that time way more peaceful than the world is today. Isn't that interesting? You see, the Romans were a polytheistic people. That means 
They worshipped many gods. It's a big word for saying worshipping many gods. Poly meaning many theistic gods. So they were a polytheistic people. And in our text, it says that it came to pass in the reign, during the reign of Caesar Augustus. His name had originally been Octavian, but he changed it. He was so stuck on himself. He thought so much of himself that he changed his name to Caesar Augustus, which means to be revered and exalted, the August One. So he took, he took upon himself a title of deity. And he reigned with an iron hand, and he prided himself in the peace that Rome enjoyed. In fact, one of the, one of the important gods of Rome was one called Janus. And he was supposed to be the guardian of time and of doorways and of transitions. His image had, as you see here, two faces. One was looking to the past, the other was looking to the future. He's the guardian of transitions. He brings together the past and the future. And the temple of Janus featured two doors, one on either end of the temple. And in times of war, the doors were left open, and in times of peace, they were left closed. And Augustus, it's recorded in history, took pride in the fact that during his reign, the gates remained closed. There was peace. So when Christ came into the world, there was peace. Or we could say the world had been squashed by Rome and held in Rome's grip. The, the term they used was Pax Romana. And it's the, the Latin term for the peace of Rome. It was just a common phrase. We are enjoying the peace of Rome the people would say, Pax Romana. Well, there was a reason for that peace. There was a reason for the timing of Christ's birth. The gospel was going to be introduced in the world. And it was not just a Jewish gospel. It was a gospel for all the nations. And when you study history in light of the, the birth story of Jesus, the Pax Romana gave a freedom to the known world that would enable the apostles and followers of Jesus to take the gospel to the nations safely. The road systems were built. They were protected along those roads. They were free to proclaim the gospel to the nations. And the early persecution that the Christians experienced was from their fellow Jews and leaders. Read the book of Acts. You will see the persecution that was leveled at, that, at them came from the Jews in those early days. The Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin. But it wasn't until later, Nero, Domitian, when they applied Roman state persecution to the church, the world was at peace when Jesus was born. There was state oppression in the terms of the, the might of Rome, but there was peace as far as war was concerned. And so the gospel could go freely to the nations. I read of some historical research that was done in, in, by a historian in Canada and he, he covered a period of time that began in 3600 B.C. And he, and he studied history from 3600 B.C. all the way to the present day, which covered over 5,600 years. And his study revealed that of those 5,600 years, 292 years were years of peace. Only 292 out of 5,600. He, he noted there were 14,531 known wars, three 
billion, 640 million people had been killed. So the history of mankind is pretty dismal when it comes to peace. And there was a very discerning philosopher, Roman philosopher, who said these words. He said, Caesar can bring peace to the world, both on land and sea, but he cannot bring peace to the hearts of men and women. Now here's the deal. Some would mock the message to the shepherds as a false and unfounded promise. They would say to us today, what about Russia and Ukraine? What about Israel and Hamas? And on the home front, and of course of far lesser importance, what about Republicans and Democrats, we could say? Why isn't there any peace? What, what happened to, to world peace that was promised? And it's easy for the skeptic to look at the angelic promise of peace on earth and think that it means merely the cessation of war. Now, there is a peace that is greater than that, but it begins in the hearts of men. And it has the power to end wars, and it ultimately will, but it must first win the war within the hearts of men. And I want to say this peace that was announced is working. The kingdom of God is advancing as the gospel is being proclaimed worldwide today. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls bowed to Jesus, and we rave about the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people saved in one day. Today, 3,000 souls are added to the church every 20 minutes. That's how the message of peace is growing. And I would assume today on a Sunday when a lot of people were invited to church, there will probably be tens of thousands of people come to Christ on this very day today. That's where peace begins. And so by faith, we, we look ahead to the day proclaimed by both the Old and the New Testaments, the day when peace will ultimately come to this earth, manifest in the cessation of war as well, where the wolf lies down with the lamb and so on, as the passages that the, the, are given to us in the Scripture. Daniel talked about a stone that represented Messiah's kingdom, and he said that stone is going to become a great mountain and it's going to fill the earth. Habakkuk said, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How do the waters cover the sea? Pretty completely, wouldn't you say? And the earth will be filled with the knowledge of that glory. Isaiah said, of the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end. God will be constantly at work. The leaven of the kingdom has been sown into mankind. It's constantly at work whether we see it or not, whether there are wars going on or not. Paul said, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. John the Revelator said, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever. God's kingdom will prevail. There will be peace on earth one day. And the announcement of the, the angel to the shepherd still rings through the ages. I want to close with this story before we just go into a time of prayer. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was one of America's greatest poets. He captured what I'm talking about here, this peace in the midst of war. He captured this message through his own grief and tragedy 
and put it into the words of a poem. Wadsworth was a man who had great success, but also great sorrow. After the death of his first wife, which grieved him so, he, he met a woman by the name of Frances Appleton. He courted her for seven years, and she finally said yes. And Longfellow experienced fame and success at this time in his life. He earned an excellent income from his literary works. Francis and Wadsworth had six children, and they lived very comfortably. When President Lincoln was elected, Longfellow and his wife were elated over that election because they thought he's going to bring peace and freedom to our nation. That was their hope. The following year, the Civil War began. On July 9th, 1861, in the early days of the war, his wife Frances was sealing the locks of her daughter's hair using hot wax. I can't explain that procedure, but it's the older equivalent of a curling iron, I suppose. And Henry was asleep in the next room, and suddenly he awoke to his wife's screams. And he rushed into the room to find his wife engulfed in flames, her dress burning. He covered the flames with a rug. The rug wasn't big enough. He, he burned terribly his own face and hands. And his precious wife died 12 hours later. Henry was too badly injured to even attend her funeral. His face was so badly burned, he could no longer shave, and so his heavy white beard became a trademark of his. His diaries tell the story of his grief. Christmas Day, 1861, this is five months after the loss of his wife, he wrote these words, How inexpressibly sad are the holidays. One year later, Christmas Day, 1862, he writes, A Merry Christmas, say the children, but that is no more for me. In 1863, a year later, his son joined the Union Army. He returned in December before Christmas, terribly, terribly injured from the conflicts. In 1863, that year, when his son came home, no journal entry on Christmas Day at all. But one year after that, Christmas Day, 1864, Longfellow sat down to try to capture, if possible, the peace of the season that had been so elusive to him. He began a poem that became the words to a well-known Christmas carol that we sing, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And I want you to follow closely these words that are on the screen. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to man. I thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. 
The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. The peace of Advent comes in promise of a world of peace one day. And in the promise of a Savior who in the meantime will carry us through the difficult times that we face here in life. And so we're going to pray in just a moment. And I'm going to encourage you just to lean back. We, it's early. Just lean back and just receive this peace today. So, Father, we come in a world that is filled right now with chaos and confusion and war and turmoil and threats of more war. We declare that the, the peace that was announced by the angels is not annulled by circumstances that we see in our generation. We thank you that the peace is spreading into the hearts of men today, even as we sit here, that the kingdom of God is growing in influence. And so it's a paradox to us, Lord. We see that on the one hand, yet our faith holds on to the promise that ultimately peace will come and reign on this earth. And so I ask that you would shine your light in our hearts here today. And Lord Jesus, do a deep work in us, in each one of us. Let the peace that we preached about here today become a heart thing for all of us, regardless of where we are. 